What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Uh, this is another super extra special bonus Tuesday, YouTube Tuesday episode. Uh, Lex came over and uh, we went through the the premises. If you didn't listen to the last one, you're listening to this one. Uh, I go through the history in my YouTube page, like all the shit that I've been looking at. And I pick out a few videos that seem to sort of correlate. There seems to be some patterns that, that occur. You know, like I'll go on, on like a tangent where I'll watch a video, then look at all the suggested stuff on the side and open that in a new tab and then see what's suggested from that and open that in a new tab. And you just open up like the spider web of YouTube uh, exploration. So uh, I'll go through and uh, find some things that I think are interesting and we uh, we put them together and play them for you. So uh, this one, I have uh, four videos that are um, interview-based. Being that we do an interview show, and they're all short. It's not long interviews. I think um, we start off with a story of which most of you have probably heard already, but it's so fucking funny. Uh, the Doc Ellis throwing a no hitter in a, a, at the Pirates against the Padres game sometime in the seventies, and the actual video is illustrated. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, then I found another illustrated story that was from an interview in, uh, the 60s with Jim Morrison, which is really funny, about the beauty of being fat. Then I have a short Hunter S. Thompson clip, which is an ode to Jack Kerouac, and then we finish with Jack Kerouac on the Steve Allen show, uh, set to Steve Allen doing some jazz in his band. So, uh... Check this out. Let me know what you think. I, I've been getting some feedback. I guess you guys like the music episode. So I'll keep doing these bonus Tuesday episodes like every few weeks or every other week maybe when we can. Uh, Chris Reaney is coming up. He'll be on the show this Thursday. Uh, so look out for that. Make sure you go download the podcast on iTunes. If you're an Apple user, uh, you can get my show on my website and on Stitcher, if you don't use the iTunes, um, make sure you go follow Producer Lex at Producer Lex on Twitter and on Facebook. You can follow me at Mike Maxwell Art, and follow the podcast at Live Free Podcast. Uh, thanks for everybody who's been listening and downloading the show. Uh, the podcast has stayed in the charts pretty regularly. I think I guess everybody likes the regular putting the shows out at a regular time. It's probably it's more official, right? Like it's more professional fake it till you make it all right so let's get jump right into this thing ladies and gentlemen without further ado it's another bonus tuesday youtube tuesday hashtag it bonus episode producer lex we're back another uh tuesday special bonus episode youtube tuesday yeah it's fun i I, kind of like that now i i kind of enjoy it too um, the the last one made it up into the charts too. Oh, like it did? was numbered. Nice. Yeah, so it means that folks out there did take a gander at it. That's nice. What's the what's the word that's like gander but listen? Um, because ganders look Gan- yeah. Take a gander. Who do, do people still say gander? I only say that with sexual like something like hey, oh, take a gander at my put my yeah, that's my a- penis. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say pussy. <laughs> nice. Not a hermaphrodite. 
But yeah, it's like don't get you, the did you just let let loose a, a top secret secret producer uh, likes you know there's no, I, was, uh, I was I was I was uh, thinking dirty right now and yeah, yeah. just like it was a freedom mindset. <laughs> there's a um I think on Twitter I think it's on Twitter there's a producer Lexi. What? Yeah, and I don't I don't follow her. Maybe we should follow her. You wanna follow her today? I should follow her, yeah. Let's follow her today. Producer Lexi. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on Twitter. Oh, I don't know what she produces, but whore. <laughs> we should maybe get her on the show. Without <laughs> you guys could battle. We could battle. I wonder what she produces. I don't See know. if you could bring up her Twitter. So okay, we're doing another YouTube Tuesday. I got um I got four videos that are last week. It was real. It was music heavy. We had the one Eric Clapton interview, and mm-hmm. so um these are actually all old interviews. Uh. From a sports star, a musician, a writer, and a writer. So um, let's just jump right into this. Uh, the first one is, I- I'm sure a lot of you have probably watched this video on YouTube. It's fucking hilarious. It has uh, 3.1 million views. Um, it's Doc Ellis throwing a no-hitter on oh, LSD. Yeah. It's it's totally illustrated. If you, it's called. It says uh, the title is "No Moss Presents Doc Ellis and the LSD No No," and it's uh, it's put together by James Blagden. Um, and I think their YouTube page is No Moss TV. N O M A S TV. So go check that out and uh, listen to this. It, I've I've watched this video at least fifteen times, uh-huh. and I'm gonna crack up right now while it plays. So. That's what Even you know, if you've heard it, good. yeah. If you the illustrations really make it, there's a uh, like stop motion illustration. Okay. So I guess that would be maybe a uh, there's like drawing drawings illustrated. So um, go watch the video, but listen here. This shit is pretty fucking funny. We flew into San Diego, and I asked the manager, "Could I go home? Because we had an off day." So he said, "Yeah." So I took some LSD at the airport because I knew where it would hit me. I'd be in my own my little area and I'd know where to go. So that's how I got to uh, my friend's girlfriend's house. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm high as a Georgia Pine. <laughs> the next day, which I thought was the next day, she told me, you better get up. You got to go pitch. I said, pitch? I pitch tomorrow. Hell, what are you talking about? Because I had got up in the middle of the morning and took some more acid. She grabbed the paper, brought me the sports page, and showed me, boom. I said, oh, wow. What happened to yesterday? She said, I don't know, but you better get, you better get to that airport. Oh, God. Shucks. It's all right. Now, this was in the 70s, and Greenies was Dexamil. That was uh, the drug of choice back then was a stimulant. Over 90% of major leagues was using decimal when I was playing. <laughs> when I got to the game, there was a lady down there in San Diego who used to always have the bennies for me, Benzedrine, which is another stimulant. I went out to the, in the dugout and reached up because she was standing over the rail. She always stood over the rail and had a pretty little gold pouch. So I got the bennies, went on back in the clubhouse, took them. The game started and the mist started. Misty rain. So all during the game was a little mist. The opposing team and my teammates, they knew I was high, but they didn't know what I was high on. 
They, they had no idea what LSD was other than what they see on TV with the hippies. I didn't see the hitters. All I could tell was if they was on the right side or the left side. The catcher put tape on his fingers so I could see the signals. We had a rookie on the team at that particular time named Dave Cash, and he kept saying after the first inning, he said, you got a no-no going, a no-hitter. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> and I looked. Then around the fourth inning, he'd say it again, got a no-no going. <laughs> I looked. Yep. But I could also feel the pressure from other players wanting to tell him to shut up. <laughs> it's a superstition thing where you're not supposed to say nothing if somebody's throwing a no-hitter. There were times when the ball was hit back at me. I jumped because I thought it was coming fast, but the ball was coming slow. Third base would come by and grab the ball and threw somebody out. I never caught a ball from the catcher with two hands because I thought that was a big old ball. And then sometimes it looked small. One time I covered first base, and I caught the ball, and I tagged the base all in one motion. I said, oh, I just made a touchdown. <laughs> I didn't pay no attention to the, to, the, to the score. You know, I'm trying to get the batters out. And I'm throwing a crazy game. I'm hitting people, walking people, throwing balls in the dirt. They're going everywhere. Now we've called for the fiesta day resistance. We've moved to the bottom of the ninth on a no-hitter, leading 2-0. It was easier to pitch with the LSD because I was so used to medicating myself. That's the way I was dealing with the fear of failure. The fear of losing, the fear of winning. It's just that uh, it was part of the game, you know. You get to the major leagues and you say, I, I got to stay here. What do I need? Everybody in our bullpen is standing and walking around nervously. They want to run and grab Doc. Now two balls, two strikes, and here's the pitch. Strike three. He got it. They caught after him. He got it. <laughs> They're mobbing Doc on a no-hitter. <laughs> How great is that? That shit was funny. My lord. LSD is a hell of a drug. I haven't done it in a really long time, mm-hmm. but I definitely it's it's funny. I just started listening to improvisational jazz like as a way to calm myself down. Mhm. And I've been listening to it while driving in the car instead of listening to the same stupid radio yeah, yeah. bullshit. And I realize how fucking trippy some of it is. Like, it's really psychedelic. Oh, yeah, dude. It is. And so I was th- like thinking back to, like, I listened to a lot of Grateful Dead when I was taking acid all the time and, like, a lot of trippy rock and, like, Pink Floyd and like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And was thinking, like, man, this is all just improvisational jazz with, like, some songs in between. Like, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm starting to hear it like even like bands like Modest Mouse, like you listen to Modest Mouse, there's a lot of improvisational jazz in there. Oh well, yeah, and uh, I have some uh, a Kerouac thing coming up here at the end of this, uh, and now I'm starting. He he was really into writing about jazz. Like he would write pages of the sounds, mm-hmm. like word out what the sounds were. So you can imagine like half a chapter of that. Like getting kind of like, God, God damn it. Yeah. But now that I'm listening to it and thinking of it in a different way, I'm like, oh, that kind of fucking makes sense now. So. Yeah, that's true. So I found out who this producer Lexi is. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I did mention she was a whore before I even knew about it. 
Yeah, she's uh, she does Playboy Radio, and uh, there's a bunch of pictures of her touching girls' asses and Hey-o. sucking toes in nice. the studio. Did you follow her? Uh, I'm not sure if I should follow her. Maybe I should. Let's follow her. All right. I'll follow her when we're done <laughs> with this. Um, and it was funny. I just It popped up when I was adding you on Twitter. The it, You know when it gives you like options of other people oh, who you're yeah. not following now? It, that, that popped up. I wonder when she joined. She doesn't have that much. Oh, never mind. A lot of followers or yeah, no? She has, she has a lot more than I do. Hey. Like by threefold. <laughs> All right. Does she have more than me? Uh, no, she's in 8,000. Oh, she's way more than me. Oh, she is? Yeah. You champion. only have a couple thousand? Yeah, I'm only in like the 2600s. As if it matters. It doesn't matter. So um, let's move on to this next one. We're, we're close on time here. We got another interview coming up after this. So let's, yep. let's jump right into this next one. Uh, I'm, I'll cue it up and give it a little... Um, let's see, because we're going to have a fucking commercial, of course. Oh. All right, so this is an interview. There's this uh, YouTube page that I found today called Blank on Blank. Uh-huh. And they take old interviews and illustrate them, which is very similar to the, the Doc Ellis the one. Doc Ellis one. Uh, the interview is by Howard Smith, and it was in Los Angeles in 1969. And this is uh, Jim Morrison... On why fat is beautiful, right? I'm a little fat right now, man. Class, I, I got smashed by purple belts. Yeah, you know, I didn't even get smashed by purple belts yesterday. We had mm-hmm. a serious rolling session and like a, a pretty tough class. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the fucking purple belts just make you work all the time. There's like no rest period in between. We're like a lower belt. Yeah. Kind of. There's like little breathing room where every, where both people have to kind of think a little bit. It's yeah. Not so fucking like go 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 go. I'm hurting today. I put oh. the lockdown on on both the purple belts. Try I, I tried to baseball bat choke both of them. Yeah, did not work. All right, so let's let's get into this one. Are you hungry? Why do you ask that? Well, maybe uh, we could order out for some sandwiches or some chicken delight or something. You're not hungry? Or how about you? Are you hungry? Oh, it's lunchtime. Did you have breakfast this yeah. morning? You did? What'd you have? Oh, little things like chocolate cake and tea here. Is that all you had? Yeah. That's hey, all you I should want. eat more, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> you put on a lot of weight eating a lot. Well, um, you know, that's something that's, that really bothers me. What's wrong with being fat? That's what I want to know. Why is there such... I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. Why is it so onerous to be fat? Um, I don't see anything wrong with fat, you know? I mean, I remember when I used to weigh 185 pounds. I'm, I'm the same height. I was the same height that I am now. I weighed 185 pounds. I was going to college, and I had this food ticket at the cafeteria, and the cafeteria food is mainly all based on starch. You know, it's cheap food, right? And so I don't know what it was, but in order, I don't know, I just felt like I was, if you missed your meal, you just, you know, 
I just figured, well, I was getting screwed, right? If I missed a meal, I just blew it. So I'd get up at 6.30 every morning just to make breakfast, right? <laughs> Eggs and grits and sausages and toast and milk. Then I'd go do a few classes and I'd make it in there for lunch. Mashed potatoes. You know, every now and then, they'd put a little piece of meat in something, you know. And I'd go to a few more classes, and then I'd go to dinner, and it was more mashed potatoes. And so at the, about three months later, I was 185 pounds. And you know what? I felt so great. I felt like a tank. You know, I felt like a like a, a large mammal, a big beast. When I move through the corridors or across the lawn, I just feel like uh, I could knock anybody out of my way. You know, I was solid, man. It's terrible to be thin and wispy because, you know, you could you could get knocked over by a, a strong wind or something. You know? <laughs> Fat is beautiful. How much do you weigh now? I don't know, to tell you the truth. I guess somewhere in the neighborhood of about 150. Really? Mm hmm You want to compare biceps? <laughs> do you want, a, you want a, that arm wrestling match, Howard? Are you ready? Are All you right. in shape? Yeah. Well, what are the interviews over? <laughs> So that was uh, their YouTube page is blank on blank. They have a bunch of them. They have a Beastie Boy one, a James Brown one. So they just must have found old interviews and yeah, yeah. illustrated them. They're really good. I thought, I thought that was funny. That was you don't really hear one. Jim Morrison talk like that. Yeah, I know. Wow, that's ridiculous, man. I, 1969. Uh, man, saying that he was solid, like the theory of working out, that wasn't really prevalent back then. Yeah, right. Just, but even the, it's kind of like the beginning of, well, even like before that, like the 50s, like the beginning of processed foods. Yeah. And all that shit. He was calling it starch. All starch base. Yeah, all starch. And but it was all potato. He basically wanted to get bigger because he thought like being skinny wasn't the yeah, thing. Yeah, and that's it. He blew up before he died. He was pretty yeah. fat. He was way bigger than 150 pounds. I bet he was way bigger than 150 pounds. Dude, I, I would have said like 210. If he was 185 oh, in, in college, if he was 185, he would be like around yeah. 2 something, li- yeah. 210. I don't know if he was, I feel like he, if he was tall, but maybe not. Rock stars always end up like they seem like they're tall because they're up on a stage all the time. Yeah. But they end up being really short in comparison. And then all their bandmates oh, are all behind them. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Depth it's perception. like that with a lot of singers. Singers like are short. some good singers that like can actually wail. Yeah, they're fucking short as shit. Like they're trying to like compensate for something, but it's a good thing. Like I'm not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's jump right back into this. Uh, so uh, let me. Um, we'll probably have another commercial. 
Not that I'm complaining. I fucking love YouTube. Oh, look, no commercial. Just oh, awesome. I talk shit. Sweet. All right, so <clears throat> this is something I listen to pretty regularly when I can. Both this and the next thing. Um, this is Hunter S. Thompson's Ode to Jack Kerouac. Um, he reads a poem by Jack Kerouac, and then he mm. does his own poem. Um, nice. Two of my idols. I'm not a writer, but like growing up, like these were the two authors that I read a shitload of, and sort of like changed my worldview on some level as a dumbass fucking teenager. Nice. And young adult and old adult. So, um, this is pretty good. I, I had this. I had this. In the old school MP3 days, like when you first started be, being able to download music, oh, yeah. like maybe Is it after Napster or post Napster, post Napster, just right at the end of Kazan Napster, Morpheus, like something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I always had this on here, and uh, this has been a favorite. So it's cool. That it's on YouTube. It's uh, if you want to look it up, Hunter S. Thompson Ode to Jack Kerouac. All right. Any level? Okay. Let's read this. Let us hope that the horrors of evil no longer loiter on the doorsteps of your path, beckoning you into the brothel of despair, and that here and after you may present them with the most rigid manifestations of a firm and manly will. Ad astra per aspera. Yeah, Jack's letter. Now I want to tell you, uh, that's very brilliant. Uh, what he's doing. Jack was a great influence on me, but I want to put mine, my poem to Jack. This is the uh, ode uh, to Jack Kerouac, who was, uh, and remains, one of my heroes. Uh, how about this? This is called, uh, let's see, maybe ode to Jack. Yeah, ode to Jack. All right. Four dogs went to the wilderness. Only three came back. Two dogs died from guinea worm. The other died from you, Jack Kerouac. <laughs> well, Jack was not innocent. He ran over dogs. Just think of it, man. Never mind. Okay, well, that's enough uh, for now, and uh, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, well... Jack was an artist in every way. I admire the dog thing most of all. <laughs> all right. So that's a quick little minute and 45 nice. thing that I love to listen to every now and then. Because it's kind of like, for me, it's interesting to have, to see a lineage of two people that I consider my own heroes mm -hmm. on some level, whatever that fucking means, you know what I mean? Uh, but then to see how Hunter was influenced by Jack and you know and so on like yeah, to yeah. see a, a lineage of that i've uh i've painted a bunch of jack kerouac portraits but hunter's weird i've i've drawn some images <clears throat> that were supposed to be him but just never look like him yeah it's so weird there's a lot of cartoon images of him but to like really it's i found it very difficult for for me to draw his face for some reason like it never ends up looking like him for some wow. reason. wow i don't know why it's it's strange and usually Usually I'll I'll get it after a while. Like I'll try like mm -hmm. a few different things. I still haven't got a good one yet. But I should I, I got to make that happen at some point. So that's the uh, Hunter S. Thompson ode to Jack Kerouac. Fuck Could that so be good. that hump you're going over, like that mountain you climb, and then it opens up? 
this vast of I don't know. I don't know. I, is uh, that do you experience that with um, with other paintings, or is, it, is or is it just with Hunter S. Thompson? Well, I haven't even got to paint him because mm-hmm. I, I can't get past the drawing that mm-hmm. makes it look like him. Yeah, and then I bail early sometimes because I know it's like this is. And it's like it's, it's not, not ready. Yet. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah, but I'll find I'll find the right image to use as reference and like nail it down. There's nice. uh, yeah. There's a lot of drawings of them out there that are cool, too. I just can't pull it together. So the last, uh, let me cue up this last fucking jam, and then we're getting ready to uh, talk to Chris Reaney. I don't know how to say his last name. Another one of these motherfuckers, nice. I can't say their fucking last name. We should just do away with last names. <clears throat> or just Not call, really. Just call it. All right, so um, this is from 1959. It's Jack Kerouac on the Steve Allen show mm-hmm. uh steve allen plays piano so it's kind of jazzy nice. and it's funny because kerouac's writing has a very specific flow which for people who have read it if you don't know what his voice sounds like the way that he reads his own work yeah you you can't really read the books properly on your own and even like you listen to audiobooks of his work and it's not quite right and you can when you're reading it you can flow into the rhythm you can catch it like if you know where the breaths and like where the pauses and where like the speed up parts are Mm -hmm. that it's like a song you know like if you you, if one word is stretched out really long yeah then it fits into the rhythm of the patterning of the of the way it's written so this guy writes kind of like in stanzas almost like yeah yes he's a poet too so a lot of it does a lot of poetry as well yeah but even his narrative has this flow and uh, for people who have never heard him speak which maybe i'm sure there's people out there have you ever heard him talk? uh no i haven't heard him talk okay. so this you'll is gonna be your first you'll get to hear so here's uh jack Kerouac on the steve allen show uh 1959 in the early 1950s the nation recognized in its midst a social movement called uh beat generation a novel titled On the Road became a bestseller and its author, Jack Kerouac, became a celebrity. Partly because he'd written a powerful and successful book, but partly because he uh, seemed to be the embodiment of this new generation. So here he is, Jack Kerouac. Jack told me a little earlier he was nervous. Are you nervous now? No? Good. Jack, I've uh, got a couple of square questions, but I think the answer would be interesting. How long did it take you to write On the Three Road? Three weeks. How many? Three weeks. Three weeks? Jeez, that's amazing. How long were you on the road itself? Seven years. Seven years. Yeah, I was on the road once for three weeks, and it took me seven years to write about it. <laughs> or the other way around. I've heard that you write so fast that you don't like to use... Uh, regular typing paper, but instead you prefer to use one big, long roll of paper. Is that true? Yeah. When I write narrative novels, and I want to change my narrative thought, I keep going. You don't want to change the pages at the end, you mean? A hundred-foot-long teletype paper. Oh, teletype rolls. Where do you get them? Huh? Where do you get the paper? Yeah, teletype paper. For narrative, it's good. Yeah, I got the most hard question of all, but everybody always puts it to you, I'm sure. I mean, because everybody always puts it to you. How would you define the word beat? 
I don't mean why not time. I mean, really, is there... Oh, sympathetic. Well, a lot of people have asked me why did I write that book or any book. All the stories I wrote were true because I believed in what I saw. I was traveling west one time at the junction of the state line of Colorado. It's arid western one and the state line of poor Utah. I saw in the clouds huge and massed above the fiery golden desert of Evenfall a great image of God with forefinger pointed straight at me through halos and rolls and gold folds that were like the existence of a gleaming spear in his right hand which saith, Come on, boy, go thou across the ground. Go moan for man. Go moan. Go groan. Go groan alone. Go roll your bones alone. Go thou and be little beneath my sight. Go thou and be minute as seed in the pod. Go thou, go thou, die hence. And of this world, report you well and truly. Anyway, I wrote the book because we're all gonna die. In the loneliness of my life, my father dead, my brother dead, my mother far away, my sister and my wife far away. Nothing here but my own tragic hands that once were guarded by a world, a sweet attention, that now are left to guide and disappear their own way into the common dark of all our deaths. Sleeping in me raw bed alone and stupid With just this one pride and consolation My heart broke in a general despair And opened up inwards to the Lord I made a supplication in this dream So in the last page of On the Road I describe how the hero Dean Moriarty's come to see me all the way from the West Coast Just for a day or two We've just been back and forth across the country several times in cars And now our adventures are over we're still great friends, but we have to go into later phases of our lives. So there he goes, Dean Moriarty, ragged in the moth-eaten overcoat he brought specially for the freezing temperatures of the East. Walking off alone, and last I saw him, he rounded the corner of 7th Avenue, eyes on the street ahead, and bent to it again. Gone. So, in America, when the sun goes down, and I sit on the old broken-down river pier watching the long, long skies over New Jersey and sense all that raw land that rolls in one unbelievable huge bulge over to the West Coast and all that road going and all the people dreaming in the immensity of it. In an hour, I know by now that children must be crying in the land where they let the children cry. And tonight the stars will be out. And don't you know that God is Pooh Bear? The evening star must be drooping and shedding her sparkler dims on the prairie, which is just before the coming of complete night that blesses the earth, darkens all the rivers, cups the peaks, and folds the final shore in. Nobody, nobody knows what's going to happen to anybody besides the forlorn rags of growing old. Think of Dean Moriarty, I even think of old Dean Moriarty, the father we never found. Think of Dean Moriarty. I think of Dean Moriarty. That was actually pretty good. Yeah. I can, you know what? Um, just because he had the piano, uh, stop the like the weird pauses of uh-huh. uh, someone thinking. It gives you time to think. Yeah. They should nice set to the piano, huh? Yeah, they, they should do that now. I think I'd watch more talk shows. Yeah, that just, way. yeah. The, well, that's him. He's reading from um, "On the Road" and uh, "Visions of Cody." 
mm-hmm. um, which are both books based on um, Neil Cassidy. Okay. So I recommend everybody read everything that he's ever done. Um, and yeah, that's it. So that's today's bonus Tuesday YouTube YouTube Tuesday. Yeah. Hashtag, Hashtag it. <laughs> he said I produce Alex. I know. Well, how fucking terrible are we? We're getting good at this, though. That's what that means. Yeah. Saying the same shit at the same time. <laughs> All right, bud. Thanks. All right. Later.